ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम ज्ञान ज्ञानंजनाश्लाकाया चक्षुर उन्मीलिता येना तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः वेरी गुड सो सो ओके सो दिस इज अ इंटरेस्टिंग एंड हियर शक्शी गो पॉपर बोलसो uh interesting part of the uh, bhagavatam isn't it so if you remember the uh demigods were all kind of encouraging lord brahma to help out the situation with hiranyakashipu who is performing these great austerities and is becoming very powerful and so we'll begin with um verse 14 o king being thus informed by the demigods the most powerful lord brahma accompanied by brigu daksha excuse me daksha and other great sages immediately started for the place where hiranyakashipu was performing his penance and austerities lord brahma who is carried who is carried by a swan airplane at first could not see where hiranyakashipu was for hiranyakashipu's body was covered by an anthill and by grass and bamboo sticks because hiranyakashipu had been there for a long time the ants had devoured his skin his fat flesh and blood then lord brahma and the demigods spotted him uh resembling a cloud covered sun heating all the world by his austerities struck with wonder lord brahma began to smile and then addressed him as follows Prabhupada writes just like the second sentence of the second paragraph. It will be seen from verses to follow that even great saintly persons could not perform such a severe type of austerity. Why then was he called a rakshasha and daitya? It is because daitya means demon. It is because whatever he did was for his own sense gratification. His son Prahlad Maharaj was only 5 years old and so what could prahlad do yet simply by performing a little devotional service according to the instructions of narada muni prahlad became so dear to the lord that the lord came to save him whereas hiranyakashipu in spite of all his austerities was killed so this is a very you know instructive mm. we perform austerities only in krishna's service only for connection with krishna we don't we are not followers of the gyana process mainly that you know by performing austerities one becomes freed from the bodily conception of life one one understands the difference between the, especially the mind and 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 there is good things about it like um if anyone has ever done i haven't but i've heard about it uh vyapasana <clears throat> it's usually a seven day program it's very austere you can't talk for seven days and you perform these uh meditations and one of the when you're sitting in meditation one of the things the realizations you get is you know you get an itch you know say your nose starts to itch 
you're not allowed to itch it. And the amazing thing that almost everyone will say is after some time, it goes away. And the realization that one gets is that, you know, I don't have to give in to all of the different pushings and pullings of the mind and senses. If you tolerate them, uh, they, they pass after some time. One, one sometimes can experience this with hunger on a fasting day. If you just kind of tolerate it, it goes away. Um, uh, sexual desire. Sometimes if you just don't, don't feed it and just let it, if you tolerate it, it goes away after some time. Um, so many sleepiness is sometimes like that, right? You know, you got enough sleep, but you still feel tired and you just, you just tolerate that, that tired feeling. And after a while, it goes away. So there are realizations that one gets, not realizations about Krishna per se. You know, you're not going to get that by performing austerities um, unless they're connected to Krishna. But we have um, the four regulated principles as our austerities and not offending other living entities and other devotees can be kind of austerity because the mind wants to, you know, criticize. Um, trying to see others uh, with compassion and as a spirit soul, that's, that's a kind of austerity, a kind of challenge for us um sometimes if we you know share christian consciousness with others that's an austerity we we're we're, we're um kind of sacrificing in one sense our our ego by going out and uh and doing that especially for brahmacharis when they're out begging or you know selling books like that so there are um austerities that are connected with krishna consciousness but otherwise uh, and, and tapasya is glorified in the um, in the Vedic literature. The the uh, it's the wealth of the brahmanas. It said, "Austerity is a wealth of the brahmanas." But our main focus is the air quotes austerity of focusing on Krishna's pleasure, on the spiritual master's pleasure, and foregoing our. Um, desires for uh, our selfish desires, which can take all kinds of gross and subtle uh, manifestations. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken about austerities in the past and, and we spoke, we quoted that verse that says, you know, if, um, if you're Krishna conscious, what's the use of austerities? If you're not Krishna conscious, what's the use of austerities? <laughs> um, we, we can perform, Prabhupada performed great austerities coming at such an elderly age to America with no money and suffering heart attacks on the way. And, all, you know, he, he performed incredible austerities to establish Krishna consciousness, as did his Guru Maharaj, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So we do austerities, but we do them not just for the sake of doing them. Prabhupada was not favorable did not speak favorably, for example, about um, um, hunger strikes and things like that for political purposes um, and thing, things of that nature. And my experience, my small experience, is that when um, performing austerities for Krishna's pleasure, it may be a little poison in the beginning, but very much nectar in the end. And I've told you stories about, you know, 
going out on some kirtan and in Michigan in the winter and <laughs> wow <laughs> could be and also sometimes uh, in the summertime and and just you know sweating profusely and like that so Hiranyakashipu was performing austerities and Prabhupada is saying what we just read much greater ones than his son Pallad Maharaj but um, the results were you could say in one sense counterintuitive the results were that Hiranyakashipu ended up dead and Pallad Maharaj ended up being protected by the Lord so what are your thoughts about austerities what's your favorite kind of austerity Grudas brings up, yes, favorable about austerities like getting up by 4 a.m., going to Mangalarti, eating only Krishna Prashadam, fasting from grains and beans, Anakadasi, yes. So basically, um, living this uh, Krishna conscious life, following the instructions of spiritual master, um, you know, yeah, like you said, following fasting and uh, regulated lifestyle, chanting of the holy names as per our commitment. Uh, these are all austerities, but also in Bhagavad Gita, we remember, we read, um, reciting the uh, teachings in the Vedas, uh, also being kind and compassionate in mind, body, and words. So, um, uh, we all should at all times practice these austerities <laughs> because they purify even the great souls, like it's mentioned. Very nice. And really, you know, in one sense, austerity in one sense is the wrong word for devotees because we get a higher taste by going to Mangalarti, by chanting our japa, by all these things. Yeah. Other thoughts? So what's, what's your favorite austerity or anything about austerities? I can improve our conversation. Andy's smiling for some reason. Yeah. Well, I have a complicated thing about austerities. But I did hear something that was pretty cool about the, the British aristocrats, mm -hmm. uh, the royalty, the dukes and duchesses and all this. They uh, put a big value on austerity. So I read about a woman who, like into her 80s who was a, a duchess or something who would not sit in anything but a straight back chair before noon. Mm -hmm. In other words, in the morning, she wouldn't slouch in a chair. Uh, her austerity, because of her rank, was that she would sit in a proper straight wooden chair up until a certain time in the day. Wow. So they saw the value of austerity as a offering to, towards uh, their position. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And, and they also sometimes, one thing I heard was on giving the um, facade is not a nice, giving the impression of austerity. I heard that sometimes uh, the queen, she would take a meal before going out to a luncheon and and therefore at lunch you just nibble very little, uh, practically to eat very little, if anything, you know, at the uh, public affair. Maybe also for other reasons, and you know. But interesting, yes. Thank you for that. Other thoughts on austerities, tapasya. Chitra, if you're speaking, you're on mute. We can't hear you. And Andy's idea. Are you? Yeah. Go ahead, Rudas. <laughs> Andy's idea was very interesting to me, and it made me think that, um, in general, in society, austerity doesn't have a positive connotation. Um, and of course, because we, 
thinking this is because we live in a society that emphasizes sense gratification. So, um, if you characterize someone as austere, it's usually they're very straight laced or strict, or um, they deny themselves pleasures. Um, and so when, when devotees talk about austerities, we we can't have a, a very good, very good connotation when we mention it. Well, that's interesting, Guru because I agree with you, and we also hear glorification of it. We hear, you know, somebody like, um, you know, Tom Brady. Oh, he works out so hard during the off season, always every single day. You know, where other other football players are slouching. He's, you know, um, we hear something like that, or we hear. It took that person seven years to write that book, but it's a classic. Or, um, yeah, I'm thinking about us uh, athletes are often, or, or you know, um, I'm reading a book now by Yogeshwar Prabhu. It's a, um, I think I mentioned it last week. Did I mention it? It's about a Holocaust uh, survivor. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know all the austerities. So, so yes, I think there's both, as you're saying. Yeah. Other thoughts on austerities and tapasya. Um, Nandimuki wrote, I am reflecting on those living entities tolerating the sufferings of old age and diseases. These are austerities, but many may just tolerate all these out of egotistic motivations, following Hiranyakashipu without lasting benefits to their consciousness. Yes. Now that's an interesting austerity, Nandimuki, because it's not a choice. <laughs> Um, as if you keep living, you are forced to have old age and diseases practically. Um, that's different than a voluntary choice. So that, that's an interesting point as well. Other thoughts? So what I was, um, thinking is, I, I think Krishna performed austerities when he tolerated, um, insults from Shishapar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but there was a limit to that. So that was an interesting example. That, or yes, can now, you discuss of course, that? Like, to yeah. what extent is it acceptable to tolerate certain things? Very good point. Yeah, toleration is, he showed that example. Also, he performed austerities with Sudama when they were uh, out collecting wood for their Guru Maharaj and got caught in the bad weather. Um, of course, this is all, his, his so-called austerities are not austerities, but it's a good point you're making about tolerance as an important feature in austerity. Okay. Other thoughts? Now, we sometimes say, and I think it's, it's true, that tapasya, if it's not done for Krishna's pleasure, can make the heart Hard. And that's what Gurudas Prabhu was kind of getting at, that people are seen to be stoic and things like that when they uh, perform austerity sometimes. So we don't want the hard, the heart to be hardened. And I know we spoke about this before, but there's nothing wrong with repeating important things. That Rupa Goswami has given the perfect understanding that if we, as long if we perform austerities for Krishna's pleasure, seeing things connected to Krishna, then the heart will not get hard. But sometimes just tolerating, you know, like yogis do, uh, 
tolerating um, uh, the cold and being in a freezing lake or river in the uh, winter or cooking in the summer or whatever. Um, just doing that to make to get some shakti, get some powers, that is not uh, recommended. That can make the heart hard. And then Prabhupada also says that sometimes we just have to do our duty, which may be uh, to pussy. Like he says, uh, a mother may be cooking in the kitchen in July or August, you know, hot season. But that's that's the duty. Or we may take a cold bath in the winter. if That's our duty. Right. So there's also that idea of um, connecting to pasya with with dharma and with uh, doing one's uh, prescribed duties. And that's kind of like and that helps free us from the dualities of this world. Right. When we are. um because sometimes it's very nice to cook in the winter, right? The, the kitchen is warm. <laughs> it's, you kind of want to go in the kitchen in the winter sometimes. Uh, and in the summer, it's not like that, especially in India, where if you don't uh, like in my, where I stay in India, I don't have central uh, heating and cooling. So, yeah. Other questions or comments on, on the idea of austerities? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Yes, uh, actually, Gopal Prabhu. Listening to the glories of the Lord. And reading scriptures is also um, like a good story that uh, and just of them, like all the other devotees have mentioned and uh, visiting to Holy Dams and uh, Devotees Association. Mm. Yeah, very good point. That uh, if you remember the seventh chapter, the seventh verse of the Nectar of Instruction, it actually says those things that you're mentioning, Shakshi, well, they're not austerities, they're, they're blissful. But because we have, we are jaundice-like, we don't have a taste for them, and therefore it can seem austere while we're doing them until, you know, as we gradually get a taste. Very good point. Jeevan Tatvapu, you have your hand up. Yes, Prabhu, Hare Krishna. So, yes, uh, Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, austerity, uh, sacrifice, and charity make uh, purify even the pure souls, as uh, Anurupa mentioned earlier. And in addition to that, Shukdev Goswami in the beginning of Bhagavatam also refers that it is if it does not invoke our attraction towards Krishna. So you very nicely identified that point as well. So yes, all activities that we are performing, all kind of austerities that we are performing have a very close relationship to the mood behind it. Mm. Right? How we are carrying it out, like you expressed, just by carrying out our dharma, Right, so dharma prescribed duties, but what is the mode of that prescribed duties? Are you looking for name, fame, and glory? Is focusing yourself in the center? Are you putting Krishna in the center? Very good. Right, two ladies, two mothers, maybe cooking, but one is cooking for the satisfaction of her children so that the children love her, another is cooking for the pleasure of Krishna so that you know everyone gets the blessing of Krishna. Thank you. All right, so let us carry on. And we're Krishna. Just one one brief thing since it's yes, good house. Um <clears throat> when you were mentioning about cooking in the summer reminded me I think it's uh, many many devotees on this call probably know this story better than me about Yamuna Devi, how she would cook for Prabhupada in this little shack uh in one of the locations in India. And uh, she would go in, and, and by the time she finished the preparation, uh, 
she was covered with soot, just absolutely uh, she would emerge uh, totally black from the uh, austerity of cooking in that tiny place. Yeah, well, we we do what we have to do to please Krishna sometimes, or to or to take care of our family, or to so many things. He's going. It's okay. So let us move on to. Okay, so we're going up to twenty-four. Okay, so Lord Brahma said, "O son of Kasyapa Muni, please get up, get up! All good fortune unto you. You are now perfect in the performance of your austerities, and therefore I may give you a benediction." You may now ask from me whatever you desire. And I, and I listen to the way Prabhupada uses, I shall try <laughs> to fulfill your wish because we all know from knowing this story that he wasn't uh, able to fulfill, fully grant him uh, everything that he wanted. I have been very much astonished to see your endurance. In spite of being eaten and bitten by all kinds of worms and ants, you are keeping your life air circul- excuse me, circulating with your bones, within your bones. Certainly this is wonderful. Even saintly persons like Prighu, born previously, could not perform such severe austerities, nor will anyone in the future be able to do so. Who within these three worlds can sustain this, his life without even drinking water for 100 celestial years? And we all know that uh, you know, this is some special benediction because what do they say, Andy? There's only, you can only go like three or four days without water? generally, in these kind of bodies? Yeah. Right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, Maybe um, six maximum. Yeah. yeah. Um, dehydration is, but, yeah, you know, this is on a different level, obviously. A different time, millennials and millennials ago, and, yeah. And he's had these yogic perfections. My dear son of Diti, with your great determination austerity, you have done what is impossible even for great saintly persons. And thus, I have certainly been conquered by you. O best of the Asuras, for this reason I am now prepared to give you all benedictions according to your desire. I belong to the celestial world of demigods who do not die like human beings. Therefore, although you are subject, subject to death, your audience with me will not go in vain. And of course, we do know that ultimately demigods also um, pass away. He said, Lord Brahma Prabhupada writes, Lord Brahma in, uh, predicted that he had to die. He could not become immortal or even gain equal status with the demigods. Text 22. Now Sunarda Muni is speaking still. After speaking these words to Hiranyakashipu, Lord Brahma, the original being of this universe, who is extremely powerful, sprinkled transcendental, infallible spiritual water from his uh, Kamandanu, which is like a, a pot, um, Dalu rather, Kamandalu, upon Hiranyakashipu's body, which had been eaten away by ants and moths, thus enlivening Hiranyakashipu. As soon as he was sprinkled with the water from Lord Brahma's water pot, Hiranyakashipu rose endowed with a full body, with limbs so strong that they could bear the striking of a thunderbolt. If you remember in the 10th chapter of the Gita, Krishna says of, of strong things, I am the thunderbolt. With physical strength and a bodily luster resembling, resembling molten gold, he emerged from the anthill a completely young man, just as fire springs from fuel wood. 
and text 24. Seeing Lord Brahma present before him in the sky, carried by his swan airplane, Hiranyakash was extremely pleased. He immediately fell flat with his head on the ground and began to express his obligation to the Lord. Not the Lord, but Lord Brahma. And in, in the purport, I won't go into the details of the purport, but Prabhupada is is commenting a lot on the um, difference, because he calls him Lord here, the difference between the demigod and the Supreme Lord Krishna. And there's, he goes at, to great length to do that. And he says, better than trying to please the demigods from material desires, Prabhupada quotes the verse from the second canto, Akama, Sava Kama Va Moksha Kama Udarti. Better to worship Krishna, even if you're if you're free from material desires, you have no material desires. That that's better to do that. So that's uh, Prabhupada goes on at some length in this purport about that. But going up to twenty eight, then getting up from the ground and seeing Lord Brahma before him, the head of the Daityas was overwhelmed by tribulation, with tears in his eyes, his whole body shivering. He began praying in a humble mood with folded hands and a faltering voice to satisfy Lord Brahma. So. You can, he sounds very sincere, right? <laughs> this sounds super sincere. You know, he's he, tears and holds shivering and praying and folded hands. But he has a plan in mind, right? It's not, it's not submission without an ulterior motive, or rather it is submission with an ulterior motive. But, you know, people can be, sometimes we, I think if I was only as sincere about my devotion to Krishna, as other people are sincere about gaining something materially, wow, that, I, I could really be a, a good devotee. <laughs> so he, so we're seeing his sincerity here, his determination, his desire, his strong desire, but it's not exactly in bhakti. <clears throat> Continuing, let me offer respectful obeisance. So here he keeps on calling him, uh, the Lord, or here at least he says it more accurately, uh, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Lord within this universe. At the end of each day of his life, the universe is fully covered with the dense darkness by the influence of time. And then again, during his next day, that self-effulgent Lord, by his own effulgence, manifests, maintains, and destroys the entire cosmic manifestation through the material energy, which is invested with the three modes of material nature, he, Lord Brahma, is the shelter of those modes of nature, sattva guna, raja guna, and tamaguna. I offer my obeisances unto the original personality within this universe. That's also accurate, okay? Who is cognizant, well, within this universe, Krishna is the original personality, who is cognizant and who can apply his mind and realize intelligence in creating this cosmic manifestation. It is because of his activities that everything within the universe is visible, is therefore the cause of all manifestations. So, Prabhupada goes into some, uh, he says that um, the first created being is Lord Brahma. Oh, yeah, no, he says uh, the Supreme Personality of God is Krishna. Brahma receives his intelligence, mind, mind, intelligence, materials, and everything else from Krishna. And then he becomes the secondary creator, the engineer of this universe. 
In this regard, we may note that creation does not take place accidentally because of the explosion of a chunk. Such nonsensical theories are not accepted by Vedic students. So I like the idea here of an engineer. That's the, that's the word uh, Prabhupada used, or you could even call it like a builder. In other words, the builder doesn't create, let's say, uh, your house, which is made out of wood or out of, um, okay, wait, there's two devotees waiting to get in. Okay. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a builder, just like we have a number of devotees who are in construction business in, um, at our temple in, in DC, uh, Chaman Puri is one of them and there's others. Um, he, he doesn't make wood. <laughs> he buys wood. He doesn't make uh, the water that mixes with the cement. He doesn't make the cement. Uh, he doesn't make the material elements, but he puts them together and creates sometimes a very beautiful house. So similarly, Krishna provides all the materials. Krishna is the, uh, the Home Depot or Lowe's <laughs> in you know, figuratively, I don't know if the devotees in the UK can understand what that, they're, they're these um, hard, big, huge hardware stores, you might call them. Um, but the person goes in, but we go into Home Depot and we buy the wood, and, you know, we make a shack or whatever. So that's the relationship between Krishna and Lord Brahma. He does the, um, Visarga is creation, creating the material elements, and Visarga is putting them all together putting the Legos together, so to speak. And Krishna provides the Legos. So that's, that's the relationship between Lord Brahma and, uh, and Krishna. And Prabhupada, you know, he has such strong faith in the Vedic literature. He said, it's not created by a chunk. And then we might think that Lord Brahma is this great, great personality. And Prabhupada talks about that. Also, from the story, the um, recitation in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, that when the Brahma of this particular universe was invited by Krishna to Dwaraka, he thought he was the only Brahman, Brahma. Therefore, when Krishna inquired from his servants which Brahma was at the door to visit, Lord Brahma was surprised. He replied that, of course, Lord Brahma, the father of the four Kumaras, was waiting at the door. Later, Lord Brahma asked Krishna why he had inquired which Brahma he had come. He was then informed that there are millions of other Brahmas um, because there are millions of universes. Krishna then called all the Brahmas uh, who immediately came to visit him. The Chaturmukya Brahma, the four-headed Brahma of this universe, thought himself a very insignificant creature in the presence of so many Brahmas uh, and so many, with, with so many heads. So, uh, and then Prabhupada summarizes what I just said. Thus, although there is a Brahma who is the engineer of each universe, Krishna is the original source of all of them. So if Lord Brahma can be humbled, uh, what to speak of us, <laughs> right? What to speak of us that we, it is so easy the ego is so easily ignited and giving us the false impression of our importance. Um, 
we, yeah, uh, we, we, and so here, Lord Brahma, things are put into perspective. And, you know, this reminds us of the, the, what we hear, what we've heard many times from, uh, the story that Prabhupada said, but I'll, I'll repeat it one more time for those who may have forgotten it or haven't heard it yet, that Prabhupada wanted to give Tamal Krishnamaraj a similar instruction, like uh, a similar experience as Lord Brahma had in what we just read. And so he said that, you know, the, the material world is one quarter the size of the spiritual world. And in the material world, there are unlimited, practically unlimited universes. And we are in one of those universes. And in this universe, there are practically so many planets, almost unlimited planets. And we're on one of these planets. And on this planet, there are over 200 separate countries. And we're in this one country, America. And in America, there's, there's, there's many, many cities. And we're in this one city, Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, there's many, many streets. And we're on just one small street called Watsika Avenue. And on Watsika Avenue, there's dozens and dozens of houses and apartments. And we're in this one house. And in this house, there are many rooms and we're in one room. And in this room, there are many devotees. But there is one Tamal Krishna who thinks that he's very important. <laughs> so it's something to remember that, uh, first of all, that Krishna is Paurusham Nishu, the ability in man. Um, so when, when something goes well, or when we are able to do something well, um, we remember that, that, you know, and we remember the story of Arjuna, that Arjuna was this incredible warrior. So, you know, like a warrior that no one had ever seen before. He was so good at archery. And we see that in the, again, in the 10th chapter, Krishna says of the Pandavas, I am Arjuna, right? And he could defeat practically, you know, practically armies single-handedly. But then towards the end of his life, when, when Prabhupada writes that he did not need that strength to go back to Godhead, he couldn't protect Krishna's queens from some, you know, Village militia kind of thing, you know, like nothing compared to his training and his strength. And Prabhupada writes that Krishna withdrew that from him because it wasn't something that he needed to go back to Godhead. So Arjuna, um, he was a great devotee, so he wasn't. But you can imagine how proud he could have become of having that, 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 that warrior power that he had. So we also, we may be very good, a, a very good speaker or very strong or very intelligent or very good at finding elegant solutions or very attractive looking or very wealthy or whatever. And we understand that, you know, compared to Krishna, we like, you know, we, there's nothing to be proud of. And if we, and if we have some ability that, uh, or some wealth or whatever, this is, you know, coming from Krishna the source of all of that. So humility is a, a, a very important um, principle, not just a detail, but a principle for any spiritualist in any tradition. Um, and certainly in the Vaishnava tradition as well. So this is an important thing that comes out in this uh, purport. So some thoughts on this point? Uh, Gurdas writes... The ego, 
Where, where, where are we? Uh, you mentioned that the ego is so easily ignited. Lord Brahma seems susceptible to this also. In verse 27, who addresses Brahma as the source of the three modes of material nature. Lord Brahma knows that Krishna is the source of these three, but Brahma does not refute. Well, yes, he may not, or maybe we don't know uh, what, you don't get the full exchange, obviously, in uh, the Srimad Bhagavatam, but um, he prays in the third canto that he won't become proud. There's a whole chapter, right, about his prayer that he won't become proud as he does the subsequent creation. Thank you for that, Gurudas. Other thoughts, questions, comments about humility? Um. Yes, Andy. Yeah, I think Krishna is also number one in, in humility. <laughs> because, like, he asks who's at the door. He knows he's at the door, right? He does that for the benefit of everybody around him, right? So he really can't do anything for himself, if you think about it. He Everything he does is for, he doesn't need any, to do anything for himself. <laughs> so he's the ultimate uh, humility. Very nice. He's always in the service of others or always... Yeah. Wanting to exchange love with others. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Jivita Prabhu? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, humility is a, an amazing uh, quality because it keeps the devotees or whoever is humble really under the radar from the people who are seeking name, fame, and glories mm-hmm. and make it attracted to them as well. While devotees also appreciate this quality, so make it attractive to them. So a person in a humble state. It becomes, he is attracting all the parties and everyone is looking at him as a friend or, you know, seeing devotees feel like, okay, this is a great association. A person is very humble. So it's a great quality. Unlike the materialistic view when people are running after name, fame and glories, right? And that's where challenges and tribulations and conflicts, all these arise. Mainly. Very good point. Yes. Very good point. Yes. Um, Humility is very attractive. It's also interesting, we see sometimes in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that people will say, oh my gosh, you have to stop that humility. It's killing me, right? <laughs> it's sometimes uh, painful. I mean, painful in a, in a spiritual sense, not in a material sense, to, to be around somebody who has an honest assessment of themselves. And real humility comes by understanding the greatness of Krishna. That's actually how... It's not just walking around with low self-esteem or, you know, it's, it, as uh, that saying goes, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less or less often. And, and that's, uh, I like that, that simple. Um, and in our relationship with Krishna, it's, it's very important. And Nandi Muki has written, I am thinking that recognition of oneself, self-value are like happiness. We do go after them. However, they are not meant to be found externally. Very nice. And also the um, counterintuitive nature that <coughs> often the more you seek recognition, the more it um, evades you in the long run. And the more you don't seek recognition and just go about your humble service to Krishna and, Krishna often ends up arranging things that you're glorified, even though you do, that's not what you want. Yeah. There's some nice pastimes like that in, in our literature, 
like uh, I think it's the Chaitanya Bhagavat that talks about um, Kolavechar Sridhar, the seller of the uh, uh, mango leaves and, and uh, mango leaves or banana leaves. Banana leaves. Uh, banana leaves. Yeah. Um, and he was anyway the, the, his story and and, and Haridas Thakur didn't go around saying, "Hey, look at me! I'm chanting 192 rounds every day." Right. Um, so a devotee, a, 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 a nice quality of a devotee is he or she is just so happy doing service. And the happiness that they derive in service takes away the desire for needing any kind, as, as Nandi Mukhi is saying, any kind of external recognition. Because you're so satisfied with the recognition Krishna is giving you in your heart and reciprocating without that. You don't. You know, you don't care. Um, Narottamadas Thakur, right? He would um, clean the place where his his future guru would, when he would evacuate and clean himself. And then Narottam would hide. And then after Lokanath Goswami was done, then he would clean that area. And didn't want any recognition that he had done it or anything, but just wanted the opportunity for service. So a devotee is often satisfied with knowing that Krishna is seeing what he or she is doing. Other thoughts on humility? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunam Prabhu. Um, humility is the recognition that Krishna is my source and the source of all other living beings and everything in the creation. Mm. And even he is the source of all the excellent qualities that any person could have and even whatever qualities that I have, he is the source. So when I have a proper understanding of that, then I am pretty comfortable in my position. I'm not uh, thinking too much of myself or too low of myself and I am comfortable in wherever I am at and no, everything comes from Krishna. He can give something to me and he can take it away from me. Doesn't matter. Nice, nice. And what is the consciousness? Where is our consciousness at when we are really craving recognition? It's material consciousness, simply material consciousness. Okay. And what kind of material consciousness? Seeking name, fame, glory, sensual pleasure. Okay. Seeking name, ego. Dean says ego. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. In anxiety, the person might be in anxiety. Yeah. Because they want that recognition. Mm-hmm. And I feel insecure without that attention or recognition. Insecure. Yes, definitely that anxiety. Yeah. Yes, because the devotee feels secure in Krishna's lotus feet. Yeah. Yeah, very, very well said. Okay, so let's, let's move on then. Um, so we are on 29 and we're going up till 35. Your Lordship. He keeps on calling your lordship. Hiranyakashipu is still speaking. Being the origin of life in this material world, which is not exactly accurate, it is the master and controller of the living entities, both moving and stationary, and you inspire their consciousness. You maintain the mind and the acting and knowledge-acquiring senses, and therefore you are the great controller of all the material elements and their qualities, and you are the controller of all desires. Continuing his glorification, my dear Lord, by your form as the 
Eight is personified, and through knowledge relating to the activities of all the yagnik brahmanas, you spread the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies of the seven kinds of sacrifices, headed by uh, Agnistoma. Uh, Agnistoma. Indeed, you inspire the yagnik brahmana to perform the rituals mentioned in the three Vedas. Being the supreme soul, the super soul of all living entities, you are beginningless, endless, and omniscient beyond the limits of time and space. And this is what Gurudas was referring to when he said, you know, why didn't Lord Brahma kind of say, wait, wait, that's not me. That's not me. But he had a plan. And Kirani Kashibu continues, Oh, my Lord, your Lordship is eternally awake, seeing everything that happens. As eternal time, you reduce the duration of life for all living entities through your different parts. And as moments, seconds, minutes, and hours. Nonetheless, Excuse me. You are unchanged, resting in one place as a super soul, witness and supreme Lord, the birthless, all-pervading controller, who is the cause of life for all living entities. Again, uh, not exactly accurate. There is nothing separate from you, whether it be better or lower, stationary or moving. The knowledge derived from the Vedic literatures like the Upanishads and from all the sublimbs of the original Vedic knowledge form your external body. You are Hiranyakarva, the reservoir of the universe, but nonetheless being situated as the supreme controller, you are transcendental in the material world, which consists of the three modes of material nature. You almost get the feeling, don't you, that he's kind of like, as we say, uh, you know, buttering them up, or as they say in India, putting muck on <laughs> really uh, trying to, uh, you know, you're so great. And by the way, can you lend me uh, some money? You know, that kind of, that kind of mindset. <laughs> oh, my Lord, being changelessly situated in your own abode, you expand your universal form, Lord Brahma's universal form within the cosmic manifestation thus appearing to taste the material world. You are Brahman, the super soul, the oldest, the personality of Godhead. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme, who is in his unlimited, unmanifested form, has expanded the cosmic manifestation, the form of the totality of the universe. He possesses external and internal energies and the mixed energy called the marginal potency, which consists of all living entities. This is 34. Actually, uh, did I tell you to read? Uh, no, 35, yes. Oh, my Lord, O oh best of the givers of benediction, if you will kindly grant me the benediction I desire, please let me not meet death by any of the living entities created by you. And the purport prophet writes, Thus far, Hiranyakashipu has adorned Lord Brahma as the supreme personality of Godhead and has expected to become immortal by the benediction of Lord Brahma. Now, however, having come to understand that even Lord Brahma is not immortal, because at the end of the millennia, Lord Brahma will also die, Hiranyakashipu is very carefully asking him for benedictions that will be almost as good as immortality. His first proposal is that he um, not be killed by any of the different forms of living entities created by Lord Brahma within this material world. So I was thinking... Um, I mean, in life, this happens to us, right? We have our desire for something. 
uh, and then we come, then we have to live with a plan B. And sometimes there's a plan C, a plan D, and a plan E, right? But, you know, that, that I mean, I think that happens to us a lot in, in our lives. And it's, you know, um, it's interesting how Hiranyakashipu shifted to plan B very quickly with a lot of agility. Now, of course, we get into the details. He didn't get everything he wanted, which is often, um, in, in conflict resolution, we, I, I often try to separate people's needs from their wants. You know, you need a car to get to work. You want to have a red Mustang convertible <laughs> or whatever, right? Um, and, and we, we may have to also, it's, it's good to have our ideal, um, and then deal with the reality as well. And the material world is full of plan Bs. And the, the interesting thing for a devotee is that sometimes the plan B turns out to be much better than the plan A. You know, like the, the saying says, uh, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. Right? And I'm sure every one of us has an experience at some point in their lives of um, something that they didn't really want to happen happened, but it actually turned out to be really good. Right? I, I mean, I have a, a uh, I think I may have told you this before, I had, you know, a, a big one when um, uh, I was, there was a plan for me uh, to marry another devotee lady and that uh, didn't pan out and I was feeling sorry for myself for a few weeks but then by Krishna's arrangement I uh, met uh, Ananda and that has turned out 31 years of uh, really great <laughs> so so when I was when the plan A didn't work out at first for the first few weeks I oh no I'm, I'm you know Krishna why and all that sort of stuff and then, you know, later the, uh, not that, not, not that, you know, Nanda's my plan B. That's, that's not the point. <laughs> but something else happened that, uh, that worked out wonderfully. So I think we all have that experience. Sometimes things are tough. I, Henry was living in the same house for 50 years of his life. And it was really somewhat, somewhat hard to give that up and move somewhere else, but he did that. And I think now he feels, some great relief, even though there's some nostalgia, but some great relief. So we, the devotee, um, we, we, um, you know, man proposes and God disposes. So we have, we have our plans and, and, and making plans. What did, what did Eisenhower say? Trying, I always get this quote wrong, but um, planning is essential Plans are, I don't know if he says useless, no, no, but... No, no, he says, uh, the plan is nothing. Planning is everything. Okay. For D-Day. For D-Day. Okay, yes, because, in other words, you have to make the plan, do the planning, but you know that when the rubber meets the road, when, when, the, when it actually hits the ground, it's going to adjust, it's going to change. Right? Is that basically right, Andy? That's the purport? Mm, I don't know. Well, somebody can Google that. Um, we want to make sure we get it right. Um, Shiva Tatrabhu says, Jai Patakamaraj says this often, I have a plan, you have a plan, and then Krishna has a plan. <laughs> and it is his plan that we should accept. Then we can all be happy. Yes. <laughs> Very good point. Well, 
I did I did have something to say about plan. I quibble with one word that you used. Yes. Uh, you said Brahma had a plan. I think he discerned the plan. You mean Hiranyakashipu had a plan? No, no, no. Lord Brahma. Oh, he discerned a plan. Yeah, I think that's what that smile was about. If you go back, he said he smiled, right? Uh-huh. Remember, that's what Lord Shiva did when he when he realized what was going on. Yeah, okay. Well, I think he's saying, oh, okay, I see. Now, I think we're, I see where I got it. Ready. Yeah, okay. That's nice. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and plans are like that, you know. Uh, and I like what uh, the Jai Patakamaraj quote. Oh, did somebody put something in the chat? Um, oh, we'll get to that in a second, Chitra. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Dean says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Mike Tyson. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Funny, right? That probably the first time in the history of the world that Mike Tyson has been quoted in a Bhagavatam class. <laughs> but no, that's 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 a good that's a very good one. That's a very good one. Yeah. <clears throat> and you don't know Christian's plan. Like I remember my um this was years ago. My son was really he he had just moved to America. He lived in India his whole life. So he was really uh what is it, FOB, fresh off the boat. You know, um, and he moved to Dallas, Texas, and moved into the devotee community there. And he went to the community college for a year. But, you know, school is so challenging in India. And community college, he just found to be like eighth grade, you know, just so easy compared to India that he had to go to another university. So he applied only to two universities, University of Texas and uh, Southern Methodist University. And I wanted him to go to SMU because it's right next to, he could still stay at the, in the, the devotee community in Dallas. Whereas in Austin, Texas, there was no devotee community, but he did, and he got a scholarship to SMU. Um, but he, 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 the funny thing he said, I don't know if anyone knows about SMU, but it's, um, if you do know about SMU, you'll get this. Uh, he said, Pitta, you know, that means dad in, Hindi. So Pitta, it's so white. <laughs> because remember, he he grew up in India, right? And uh, and there wasn't a lot of diversity. That was his point. It was it was mainly like he his way he portrayed it is rich kids who couldn't get into Rice University went to SMU. <laughs> so I was saying, oh, it's too bad. There's not so much devotees. But anyway, Austin worked out great. Krishna had a plan. He would he spent almost every weekend in Houston, drove the three hours. Uh, there and hung out with his devotee friends and really cultivated his Krishna consciousness a lot. So I had my plan. Krishna had his plan and Krishna's plan worked out um, better. So I, I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely going to cut and paste that Mike Tyson quote and use that in subsequent classes. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Chitra says, is Krishna's plan the intuition that we have? Well, that is a great question, Chitra. Um, Yes, sometimes. (laughs) And that's the tricky part, right? Sometimes, you know, the super soul really does inspire us in the heart. Um, But usually it's good to check that, you know, the balancing is guru, sadhu, and shastra. In other words, talking to other devotees and maybe, you know, referring to these scriptures to see if there's any... um, direction given there just to confirm because sometimes it's really hard sometimes to discern in our stage of bhakti what is coming from our mind which may have other motives and what is coming from super soul 
Um, and I think we all have experience of both. So the discernment may sometimes be helpful to get from an ex, some confirmation from an external source. A trusted person and, you know, trusted devotee is sometimes a really good start. And especially someone who is a good enough friend to tell you, are you kidding? <laughs> what are you thinking? Right. Um, that is a, that's a real friend who's, you know, willing to say that. So it can be. And I think we've all had experiences where we really felt that, uh, you know, we came to a fork in the road and, and our heart was telling us to go one way and it was the best thing we ever did. If you want to talk about fork in the road jokes to, to, to follow in Dean's footsteps, Yogi Berra said, if you come to a fork in the road, pick it up. Okay. <laughs> Uh, anything else on uh, this point about um, plan B's and the Lord's direction? All right, so let us then move on to, I think we're just the next verse. Yeah, the next verse. Grant me that I may, that I, um, grant me that I not die within any residence or outside of any residence hmm. during the daytime or at night nor on the ground or in the sky. Grant me that my death not be brought about by any being created by someone other than you, nor by any weapon, nor by any human being or animal. In the purport, Hiranyakashipu was very much afraid of Vishnu's becoming an animal to kill him because his brother had been killed by Vishnu and the Lord took the shape of a boar. He was therefore very careful to guard against all kinds of animals. But even without taking the shape of an animal, Vishnu could kill him by hurl, hurling his Sudarsan Chakra, which can go anywhere without the Lord's physical presence. Therefore, Hiranyakashipu was careful to guard against all kinds of weapons. He guarded against all kinds of time, space, and countries because he was afraid of being killed by someone from uh, else in another land. There are many other planets, higher and lower, and therefore he prayed for the benediction of not being killed by any resident of any of those planets, these planets. There are three original deities, Brahma, Vishnu, and Maheshwara. Hiranyakashipu knew that Brahma would not kill him, but he also wanted not to be killed by Lord Vishnu and Lord Shiva. Consequently, he prayed for such a benediction. Thus, Hiranyakashipu thought himself securely protected from all kind of death caused by any living entity within this universe. He also carefully guarded against natural death, which might take place within his house or outside of his house. So we know in the play, in the dramas after this, he says, immortal, I am immortal. And there's some real lessons here, aren't there, for us about what is um, real shelter. You know, he tried to cover all his bases. And, you know, we may do that also, and we, and, and we should, you know, make sure we have the right health insurance and, and, you know, we may buy a Volvo car because it's the safest car, you know, or, or whatever, or this or that. Um, but ultimately, Rake Krishna Mareke, Mare Krishna Rake. If Krishna wants to kill you, no one can save you. If Krishna wants to save you, no one can kill you. And if Krishna wants to take everything away, with his, Prabhupada said that his father would say that Krishna has a form with ten arms that he can, he can, you know, you're trying to keep it and Krishna can just, <laughs> just take it away. And similarly, if Krishna kind of give you something, 
it's hard to even get it all because he keeps giving and giving and giving. So, um, also from this purport, we, we can see that, you know, our intelligence is, is important, but it has its limitations. And especially if we become proud, because Brahma is thinking, ha ha, I mean, uh, Hiranyakashipu is saying, okay, I, I tricked my son, uh, tricked Lord Brahma into granting me immortality. Right. And he thought that, uh, because, you know, he used his intelligence. So we want to use our intelligence as much as possible in Krishna service. And we also know that it is not, um, complete intelligence. So there's, there's a lot actually here in this purport about, um, and practical instructions for us to live our lives. So some questions or comments about this uh, interesting purport and Hiranyakashipu's attempts at immortality and protecting himself. Uh, also, the, the, these prayers also give an indication about how incorrect or incomplete Hiranyakashipu's understanding about the Supreme Lord is. He has some understanding, but he thinks that he has a complete understanding. So that's the space he is at and thinking, oh, Brahma is the supreme, that supreme personality. I will get the benedictions from him and I will kill Vishnu. Interesting you say that because it was Lord Brahma in a different pastime in, in the 10th canto who said, my dear Lord, others may think they know you, but as far as I am, as far as I can understand, <laughs> I can't figure you out. And it's said that his, you know, intelligence is as great as his life is long. So, you know, if Lord Brahma says that, what's to speak of us? Shushil, were you going to go off of mute? I, I couldn't tell. It looked like you're, you lit up for a second. Maybe not. Hare Krishna, Prabhuji. I'm mute always. Acha-acha. Okay. I thought you wanted to say something. No, Prabhuji. Acha. Okay. Very nice. Other Questions or comments on this uh, this point? Okay, but Andy's still smiling. <laughs> Such a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. All right, so 37 and 38. Grant me that I not meet death from any entity, living or non-moving. Grant me further that I not be killed by any demigod or demon or by any great snake from the lower planets. Since no one can kill you in the battlefield, you have no competitor. Therefore, grant me the benediction that I too may have no rival. Give me soul lordship over all the living entities and presiding deities and give me all the glories obtained by that position. Furthermore, give me all the mystic powers attained by long austerities and the practice of yoga, for these cannot be lost at any time. Hmm. And in the purport of Srila Prabhupada says, Lord Brahma obtained his supreme position due to long austerities and penances, mystic yoga, meditation, and so on. Hiranyakashipu wanted a similar position. The ordinary powers achieved by mystic yoga, austerities, and other processes are sometimes vanquished. But the powers obtained by the mercy of the Lord are never vanquished. Hiranyakashipu, therefore, wanted a benediction that would never be vanquished. Hmm. So this is, this is a sign of intelligence, and we can apply this in our lives, that it's said that whatever progress we make in bhakti, 
is never lost. Krishna says in the 40th verse of the second chapter of the Gita. Um, and the things that are generally sought after in this world, um, they have a beginning and an end, right? Our wealth, our home, our family, you know, um, we can use all of those in Krishna's service, but the bhakti, the whatever devotion we have mustered, mustered up in this life is carried with us into our next life. And if it's reach, if it reaches uh, fullness, then the next life is with Krishna in the spiritual world. Um, so we should seek that which cannot be taken away. So Hiranyakashipu was trying to do that, but he was, you know, as the song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. He uh, didn't. Um, he didn't put it into bhakti. Whereas, again, the example of his son, Prahlad Maharaj, um, became so powerful, but not by endeavoring to be so, but only by to uh, develop his bhakti. So, um, good instructions here, because he says he, you know, he's looking for something that can never be vanquished. And that is our relationship with Krishna. Okay, so thoughts, questions, comments on that? Nandi Mukhi has written, seems that Hiranyakashipu is seeking immortality through a perishable path. Like people who who seek spiritual realization through material manipulations like consuming LSD or proposing mathematical theories. Not really rational. Very interesting um, comparison, Nandimuki, that he's looking for, he's looking for something imperishable through a perishable path. And, and then you give the example of Prabhupada talking about LSD. Uh, that it, it, people felt like they were getting some spiritual visions by by taking LSD because it is a, what is it called? Psychotropic uh, drug. Um, but there was a, you know, there was question, certainly questions about that and the coming down from that. Timothy Leary didn't have everything totally sussed out. Funny, one time in the very early stages of Krishna consciousness in America and it, LSD was very common amongst the kind of um, hippie group that she looked, that were first coming to see Srila Prabhupada. And Prabhupada was so expert at um, relatedness. In other words, speaking in such a way that people could relate. So when, when one devotee asked him, what is uh, the bliss of Krishna conscious like, consciousness like? And he said, it's like an ocean of LSD. Just, you know, to give someone who had a reference point of that. Now, we don't hear about LSD much these days. At least I don't read about it or anything. It was uh, something, uh, but very good point. Uh, looking for a some permanency in an impermanent way, Anandi Mukhi. Thank you for that. And Jiva Tafapu has quoted the first canto, persons who are actually intelligent and philosophically inclined 
should endeavor only for that purposeful end, which is not obtainable even by wandering to the topmost planet down to the lowest. As far as happiness derived from sense enjoyment is concerned, it can be obtained automatically in due course of time, even as in due course of time, uh, we obtain miseries, even though we do not desire them. Thank you. So we have a few minutes left. We can venture, unless you have other comments, we can venture into the next chapter. Okay, then let us venture. So the next chapter is entitled Hiranyakashipu Terrorizes the Universe. Narada Muni continued, Lord Brahma was very much satisfied by Hiranyakashipu's austerities, which were difficult to perform. Therefore, when solicited for benedictions, he indeed granted them, although they were rarely to be achieved. Lord Brahma said, O Hiranyakashipu, these benedictions for which you have asked are difficult to obtain for most men. Nonetheless, my O my son, I shall grant you them, although they are generally not available. Then Lord Brahma, who awards infallible benedictions, departed, being worshipped by the best of the demons, Hiranyakashipu, and being praised by great sages and saintly persons. The demon Hiranyakashipu, having thus been blessed by Lord Brahma, and having acquired illustrious golden body, continued to remember the death of his brother, and therefore he uh, be envious of Lord Vishnu. So I was thinking about that. Um, do we, you know, he, he's so, we, we read about this sometimes in Vedic literature and especially in Daityas like Hiranyakashipu, so focused on revenge. And, and, I, and I wonder uh, if, if, if that's a Vaishnava. Vaishnavas are trained to be forgiving. Um, and also don't like to see other people suffer. So I don't know if revenge is really something that we are trying to cultivate. Protection, yes. Okay. Like let's say someone is going around, you know, mistreating children or mistreating women. Then force is certainly uh, sometimes warranted in order to protect, right? Protect innocent people. Um, But just to get back at someone. Um, I sometimes wonder about that because this is kind of my field of, of work, both in ISKCON and outside. And I think there's an assumption there and the, and the media really plays it up. Like, you know, getting justice means the wrongdoer is punished. Now that, you know, that may be, um, I just wonder if that really satisfies the heart. <laughs> ultimately. Um, and sometimes you'll read, you know, about people who, uh, like, I think it was the, um, the um, Sandy Hook, a, a terrible thing that happened in Sandy Hook. And some of those Amish people were said that they were praying for the person who committed the atrocities. Um and I, I just, I'm just thinking of Hiranyakashipu, his whole, it says here in this verse that his whole motivation is revenge. And I just wonder if, if one feels true satisfaction in, in getting revenge or if there's a higher calling, at least for us as, as, uh, devotees. So some thoughts on this. Um, Persons who constantly direct their lust, anger, fear, protective affection, feelings of impersonal oneness, 
or friendship towards Lord Hari are sure to become absorbed in thought of him. Okay. Thank you Thank for you. that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes, Jiva So again, just there's so much reference given in the third canto also, when Lord Brahma revealed Jaivijaya as being cursed by the Chatur Kumaras, the sages, he also identified that in a way, Lord Vishnu indicated that even a Brahman's curse can be nullified when one engages in devotion service, especially by constantly thinking of the Lord. Irrespective of the material modes, constant thinking of the Lord is stressed there. Of course, Acharyas, Jiva Goswami and you know, Shirupa Goswami warns us that we should not take that pretty cool, you know, a, a unfavorable attitude because then we will suffer in hellish conditions. Mm. But these are personalities who are already the devotees of the Lord who came to this material universe because of an accidental mistake, right? Ex- some kind of accident. And so they carried out these past times, but we take lessons. But Hiranyakashipu here, as part of this example, is showing that he completely got absorbed in meditating on Lord Vishnu. <laughs> yeah, well. he, he was internally purified. He was internally devoted. So he was carrying it out, but in the wrong mood. And he was still, uh, Srila Vishnachakuri talking in his commentary says that he was still under the uh, influence of Yogamaya, not Mahamaya. Mm. But we are under the influence of Mahamaya, you know, <laughs> material you. energy. Thank you. Other thoughts on revenge? I'm going to get back at all of you if you don't have any comments. <laughs> so, it, it, in one sense, it's uh, the principle of letting go or not letting go. Hiranyakashipu uh, was continuing to remember the death of his brother at the hands of Vishnu. And he wanted, he, he, he was basically seeing Vishnu as a competitor to his supremacy mm-hmm. and nurturing that vengeful attitude, basically let, and, and that's why Prabhupada says, and therefore be envious of Lord Vishnu. So he, he basically ended up being envious of Lord Vishnu, mm. that not letting go or not forgiving and just continuing to nurture that vengeful attitude against a person basically takes us to a point where we become envious of that person's uh, person or person's existence itself. Interesting. And I wonder if there's a third choice between letting go and not letting go. Um, and this, this would be a different topic, which isn't directly related perhaps, but uh, in my work, this we have something called restorative justice. Um, and that is when the person who committed the wrongdoing acts to restore the relationship. Um, it started many years ago, actually, in Canada, by chance, by chance that um, two teenagers threw a, a rock through the window of an elderly woman, and she called the police, and the police came, and something inspired the police to not just uh, arrest the kids and take them downtown, but having, but called them into her living room, sat them down, and they admitted they did it. And then, so how, what, what could you do to, to, uh, to repair this relationship? And after some discussion, it was decided that they would fix the wind, get the window fixed, and they would cut her grass all summer long. And after that, there was a, um, developed actually a good relationship between those teenagers 
and, and the woman. So they restored the relationship. Now this isn't restorative justice isn't always possible, but uh, I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes I have found that it, it, it has a spiritual ring to it sometimes. Um, and it, it, it can be helpful. So that's not neither letting go or not letting go. It's uh, like a third alternative. Hmm. We, we, some, we see different things in the, in the, in the Bhagavatam. Uh, Draupadi convinced uh, Arjuna to let go of Ashwatthama, right? Bhima doesn't like to let go of anything, <laughs> right? And he's a great devotee. So I think we could also conclude that great devotees can sometimes seek revenge and materialism can sometimes seek revenge. And it may not be on this, the same thing, although it may seem externally to be the same. It's a big topic. Big topic for, you know, not one that we're going to solve in the next uh, two minutes. Um, but it, it is, uh, it is an interesting discussion. Any last point on this? Okay, so we, we did, we, we did well. We got through, um, quite a few verses, actually. Um, 15, we did 22. We did about 27 verses today. And we will start with, uh, verse number five next week. And we will hear more about Hiranyakashipu's terrorizing the universe. Um, I've been doing a lot of facilitate. I was with uh, devotees from Japan yesterday. That was uh, very, very nice. It's a very, uh, yeah, very sweet group of devotees. Some of them only speak Japanese, so we had an interpreter um, and working on helping them kind of come up with a strategic plan for for their yatra. Anyway, that's just a little news from the ISKCON world. <laughs> Uh, it's very nice to see all of you, as always. And Krishna willing, we will continue uh, our journey um, through the Bhagavatam next week. And so thank you very much for uh, being here. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Prabhu. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Thank you. Krishna. Hare Krishna.